Dude, I would love to be the person that wrote the memo. It was like, Bubbles is no longer allowed on our set. Send to all crew. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brian Sparks. And here on Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And I don't have my co-host Thomas Horton me today, but I do have one of Cinenation's old podcast friends rejoining us today, and that is Mr. Hunter Barcroft. Hunter, welcome back to the show. It's nice to be back. It's been a really long time, other than the 100th episode. 100th episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be back. It's nice to see your face over Skype again. Well, we're on Zoom now. We've, we've gone from oh, Skype yeah. to Zoom. We, yeah. have, we have upgraded. We've evolved. Yeah. We've changed with the times. Yeah. The COVID times. But yeah, Hunter is joining us today to kind of help in our continuing month-long conversation on the horror comedy genre. And if you are just now joining us for this month, we spent the first two episodes talking about Brian De Palma's The Fam of the Paradise and Nobuhiku's Oyashi's Japanese horror comedy Haosu or House. And in those episodes, we talked about the tropes and styles within the genre of horror comedies. And we talked about how many of these horror comedies usually have a, a love and passion for horror genres like or horror, horror films, I mean, their earlier horror films to gothic literature. Or it's like usually when they're playing with the whole idea of horror comedy, it's not to make fun of the horror genre, but to show like their, their passion and love for it. And uh, and so they include a lot of tributes to horror films in the in the films they're making. Uh, another big component of the horror comedy genre is kind of the exaggeration of style. And we talked about also how scares and jokes have very similar structures. And with the scare, you have the suspense that leads to a release of anticipation. And with a joke, you have a setup that leads to the punchline. And a lot of these elements fit perfectly with today's movie, which is the 1989 film The Burbs, directed by joe dante and starring a very youthful tom hanks before he goes on his big run in the 90s and uh, we'll be discussing the film today pretty in depth so there will be possible spoilers if you want to watch the movie before listening you or you want to rewatch it the film is currently available to stream on weirdly on stars of all places and you can rent it on voodoo weirdly the access to this film is kind of hard to come by i don't think you can get it on prime or yeah, I couldn't, even like, i couldn't watch it on prime i went to go like search for it on my prime tv yeah and it won't let you have to go through stars if you want to watch yeah. it yeah so it's 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 weird so it's it's, it's on itunes or youtube to purchase it's, it's somewhat surprising just because it is tom hanks there is a little bit of a cult following to it uh it has gotten some blu-ray releases of the past few years one being aero video in the uk and i think also too and we'll talk about this today, it's also joe dante's kind of a guy who a lot of his films influenced the shit or really influenced stranger things. I honestly believe that Dante is everyone kind of gives Spielberg the credit for being the big influence behind stranger things. But Joe Dante was kind of the one big director who really spent a lot of his time, like dealing with suburbia and regular people experiencing kind of supernatural or wild things. But so, so for the, those that haven't seen the Burbs and are listening to this, uh, the Burbs about Ray Peterson played by Tom Hanks on his week long staycation. One of the early uh, mentions of a staycation, it feels like from work. And instead of going to the lake with his family uh, for the week, Ray wants to spend the week relaxing in his suburban neighborhood, enjoying the mundaneness of life. But after a few weird occurrences, uh, from his newly moved in next door neighbors who are kind of who keep to themselves Ray and his fellow neighbors believe these new neighbors the Klopeks might actually be actually be murderers 
and I grew up watching this film a lot. It was one of those films I saw on cable, like on weekends. I feel like it was on Comedy Central of all random channels. And being a big Tom Hanks fan as a child, I was shocked to see him in something that had him being attacked by a man with a chainsaw in the film's trailer. So I've grown to have a more appreciation for the film over the years, especially with Hanks's kind of comedy uh, talents that he has and Dante's direction. But Hunter had never seen this movie before, right, Hunter? No, never seen it before. Today, this was the first time. Yeah. <laughs> so what are your uh, initial thoughts on this film? Hot takes. Um, I, I went into it with an open mind. Um, I don't feel like I loved it. I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Uh, but I think I almost enjoyed it more for just the weirdness of having the cast that they have in this movie and seeing them do the things they do. Cause there's like a lot of like great actors in this movie, but it is very much your, like, I don't know, your like early 2000s suburbia comedy. Like it's with the horror stuff on the side. Like I, it reminded me a lot of like, it reminded me a lot of things that I have seen in the past decade, mm-hmm. but um, the cast itself is just so it's talented yeah but utilized in ways that i would not normally have utilized any of the people in this movie yeah not necessarily um i enjoyed it i'll probably think about it for a, a little bit but i don't know if it's gonna be yeah. something that just sticks with me forever you know like, yeah, yeah yeah i could see me myself enjoying this when i was a child but i just never saw it when i was a kid yeah so that's fair uh yeah some of the cast that that uh the hunter is talking about uh carrie fisher plays tom hanks's wife Bruce Dern plays the would pr- probably be a very right wing neighbor. Nowadays. Bruce Dern is <laughs> my favorite character in this movie. There's a lot of reasons why Bruce Dern is my favorite character in this movie, but I feel like he could have been the central character and it would have worked fine. Like that, you well, could have so it. It just it's so strange seeing him in this movie. Is so weird. yeah. The the weird thing is that you you could honestly make him. In some cases, I think what makes why I like this film, why it makes it a little bit different, is that other movies would make like Bruce Dern be the lead character. Yeah. Like the very eccentric, uh, like gun toting, like ex army veteran character yeah. or whatever. Just talks about Nam all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But like instead, it's like, no, no, we're going to go with the guy who's just like, is like, like signifies suburbia of just like this dude who wants to stay at home and watch TV. We, we don't know what Tom Hanks does for a living. No, Tom, like. Tom Hanks is the idealistic <laughs> version of like every man America suburbanite middle class man. Like that's exactly. when you think about that role. Like yeah, it's Tom Hanks. It's weird yeah. to know that that was him so early on in his career, and it just like I don't know. It, it establishes him firmly in that space. Yeah, I'll skip to that real quick. I was gonna bring it up later, but like when Hanks was cast for the role, Hanks was actually hesitant with taking it because he didn't want to do a dad role. He worried he'd be tap- typecast in dad roles. And also, allegedly, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that he didn't want his character to have a son or a kid in the movie because it would make <laughs> him seem older. And he wanted to be more like contemporary, like younger couple with Beautiful. Carrie Fisher is what it was. Yeah. I feel like uh, that works for him. But for Carrie, I feel like she's too... Like, there's one scene where she looks like that would work for her. But then there's other scenes where I'm like, this is kind of like her as like a Karen, like in a way. Like it just, it doesn't really, I, I never got, I never bought that relationship. I don't think not really. There's one I, point where I did, but other than that, I was like, eh, we'll, we'll talk about it. Cause I, I, I actually really like their relationship uh, in the movie, at least the, the comedy elements they bring to it together. Um, I mean, I, another thing too, why, why I think I relate to this movie a lot 
because I grew up in a cul-de-sac like the characters in this movie. And like as a kid, and my thing with this film, and I noticed this time, first time or the first time ever really, is that this these guys are just playing like young kids, young boys on like summer vacation that never grew up. That never grew up. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like and and the scene that really like kind of like nails it home. It's when like uh, Rick Ducommon and Bruce Dern like go, come to Tom Hanks's like house. And they're like, "Hey, uh, can Ray come out?" And they're and, and Carrie Fisher's like, "No." He's he's tired from uh all the stuff you guys been doing. He needs to take a break. And they're like, oh, come on. And he and, and Hanks just like walks up behind Carrie Fisher. Yeah, he's just like standing he's, there like he's in the door, like, I can't come out. Yeah. Like it's I'm, very much like I'm and even like, grounded. And like Rick to comedy even like does like a little kick, like he's kicking like gravel or something, like, uh man. Like it's just like they're so upset that their day is like ruined because Ray, who's like kind of their leader is like can't come out and talk to them today and 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 that's like even like when bruce dern is like when he gets a walkie-talkie he's so like oh this has this has the oh all the police channels and uh uh siren mode and all this stuff i'm like that's a teenage boy or like a kid who just got a walkie-talkie to play with like with their friends in the neighborhood that giant walkie-talkie yeah Yeah. (laughs) and he's just like lay up his character so much it really works for me it's just like the scene where he's like, uh, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Ray over. <laughs> and it's like, no adult, like, and he's just like, so like, that's nice. That's not like so excited when they're doing it. And I'm like, they're not listening to you. It they're is just very stopping over the fence. Like, that is almost pulled, like, yeah. Stranger Things almost pulled that from yeah. this movie. Yeah. I think with Dante, like, that's with this movie, with, uh, um, uh, one of his earlier or other films, Explorers, which is about uh, three kids. Who, who feel aliens have come down or are trying to go see aliens or whatever. And they built this like a spaceship. Uh, and then with gremlins, like it's, it's Dante has a very unique take on like suburban life and mixing, he uh, mixing the, the comedy and the horror aspect of it. I mean, that was the reason why I'll go into this now in terms of like brief history of how this film got made is that like, he was attracted to the, the horror comedy and like reality elements within this movie and so the film was written by actor writer Dana Olson and Olson based the film on his life growing up in the sub- suburbs as a child. And apparently there was like a next door neighbors, some next door neighbors who like never came out. And he always wondered like what they did. And he said, even though his neighborhood was like very normal, there was like a legendary hatchet murderer in the 1930s and like various like random violent outbursts from locals in town. And he says, a kid, like it was fascinating to me to think that, like the the next door neighbor, Mr. Flanagan down the street could actually be Jack the Ripper and where there's fear, there is comedy is what he said. And uh, he wrote the script for it. The film gained the attention of producers, Brian Grazer and Ron Howard over at Imagine, Imagine Entertainment. And Grazer said he liked the concept of a regular guy staying at home for his vacation. And Grazer suddenly thought of Joe Dante to serve as the director because of that mix of comedy, horror and reality. And Dante, the producers, when they came on, instantly thought of Tom Hanks for the role because they believed him to be like one of the best everyman actors at the time, comparing him to Jimmy Stewart, which has kind of been a part of his career, his entire career post this. And then like I said, he, he was allegedly he was hesitant to take the role because he didn't want to be typecast in dad roles. And the irony is he's now kind of considered the American dad and plays 
all dead. But it's, it's interesting as an actor because he's probably in his late 20s and he's coming off a big the year before this and ends up getting an Oscar nomination, I think, after this film has been made, but before it's come out. Um, but yeah, as like he's probably early 30s, he doesn't want to be typecast as like the the all American dad. He wants to be the the leading man type role. So that's kind of how it got made. Hunter, what were some of your favorite scenes in the movie? My favorite scene by far was the establishment of Bruce Dern. When they <laughs> pan up his body, he's got that vest on with no shirt underneath. And it's just like mid midsummer Bruce Dern with like these orange gym shorts and a green puffy jacket vest and then yeah, yeah. nothing underneath it just out in his yard, proudly displaying his dad bod with his like yeah. wife next to him. Who's and, much, like, who's much younger than him. Much and- <laughs> younger. And also like the fact that it is never really drawn. They very seldomly draw up on the age difference. It's there, uh-huh. but like it's in the background, but the way that they play with that with also Corey Feldman's weird, sexual tension with Bruce Dern's wife the, is yeah. so fascinating. Like I was honestly more focused on that. Anytime they're in a scene together, I was like, what weird thing is Corey Feldman about to do or say to Bruce Dern's wife? I was like, this is incredible. It's like a little movie within a movie. Dude. It was so good. Apparent, apparent, I, what I read is that Dern and Feldman weren't fans of each other on set. Cause I think Feldman was just like the younger kid. Yeah. It was this idea, and he was just like, "What the hell is that like little little kid doing?" I mean, I feel like he's always kind of that like kind of grouchy old man kind of thing that he's always <laughs> had that vibe. But I yeah. can definitely see that because Corey Feldman just looks like he doesn't give a crap about anything. He just looks like he's just like there to make a paycheck and have fun. Well, like it, he doesn't. Well, care. at this point, yeah, like Feldman's probably on the tail end of like his like eighties golden age of like lost boys and goonies like it's it's he's getting to where he's more of a teenage teenager role i do like him in this movie like again like his interaction with uh with those characters because he's like he's he's the observer in the movie where he's like the just the kid who's like don't know where his parents are his only job as his parents are gone is to paint the house red of all things like just a weird shade of red but he just like ends up just like watching his it's this interesting like generational gap of like he's like this Gen Xer and everyone else around him is like the like just baby boomers and he's just like watching the insanity of these like random people and what they're doing. But yeah, like when yeah, Dern like coming out and like raising his flag every morning. Yeah, that he hits a button, he's got like a like a motor rigged up to it and he just yeah. zooms up the pole. Dude, it was and, great. And then there's one scene where I think that exact scene where he hits the button and they're sending the flag up and he's just saluting it. Yeah. And then uh, Corey Feldman makes some comment that is again, stranger things just ripped straight off of with uh, this last season and uh, Dacker Montgomery always hitting on uh, Miss Wheeler. Mm -hmm. Literally Corey Feldman says the exact same line, almost (laughs) exact same line to Bruce Dern's wife. And I was just like, man, this is exactly what I wanted from this movie. And I didn't know. Okay, honey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to mix the zinnias in with the rest of the flowers. The man at the nursery said that... Boy, princess... that really burns my ass. What? That old fart. Got the best lawn on the block. And you know why? Because he trains his dog to crap in my yard. Hey, uh, Mrs. Rumsfield. No tan lines this morning. 
Looks nice. That kid next door is a meatball. Speaking of that, too, because I, I wrote down, like, I, I really love the way they introduce a lot of the characters and Dern being one of them. Like, it's, uh, I, I think Hank's introduction is great. Uh, yeah. It's like, the, I mean, the opening scene is just him, like, walking out in the middle of the night and his uh, neighbors, like, have essentially, like, uh, their basement has, like, light and, like, noises coming from it. It's just like, oh, Okay. I mean, honestly, like you're almost immediately has just established this dog going to take a crap in someone's yard. Well, there's that too. Yeah, Walt. Like, yeah, Walt. Walt. It, it definitely it's it's the because oh, I wrote it on the opening. It, it it definitely like gives you a good lay of the land of like who these characters are in the neighborhood. Like you get from their opening scene, like okay, like Tom Hanks is the just the the regular guy with the family trying to make it. Bruce Dern's kind of this like like gun nut guy who's like i think and like i don't know if he's an arms dealer i don't know what he is what his job was but like just a, or, or a old veteran and then you have the older guy down the street that everyone kind of hates because his dog craps on everyone's lawn and then you have rick Ducommon as as art who's just kind of like the his like, he's just the the i guess the comic relief of the neighborhood where he's always like in everyone's business like oh what are you guys doing and all and like his wife probably hates being around him is why she's not there in the movie. But yeah, like all like and that's another thing too. Going off that, like I love the dynamic between DeCommon, Hanks, and Dern. Like I feel like they play well off of, off of each other, but I did yeah. not really like DeCommon by himself. That's fair. Yeah, DeCommon. I I think he and we'll get in this later uh, when I talk about onset life. But I think he ad libbed a lot of his lines. And I, so I think why it might work better is that he's better when he's with other people to play off of. He's a good hype man. Like he, yeah. he's really good at hyping up and yeah. getting war- Tom uh, Hanks worked up and well, it's, it's like the scene when when they're like when they're like oh like they're they're in the dark magic and and Tom Hanks is just like starts kind of chanting. He's like you're chanting, you're chanting, Ray. Like all of a sudden you're doing Satan is good. Satan is great. <laughs> yeah, Satan is great. Satan is my friend. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're chanting, Ray. You're chanting. Like he is he 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 does know how to like, kind of like get under like get like gr- like get like hit the hit the right buttons of of Hanks's character. Like I know one of my favorite scenes kind of on that is when Hanks has his big final speech at the end of the movie to them of like how like no, the neighbors aren't the weird ones. Like we're the weird ones. We're like just we're spying on them when we should give them their privacy. And like he's usually he's mainly attacking Rick because Rick's just kind of like he Rick again when we're in comparison of like friends you grew up with, like Rick's care or uh, Art is kind of this like troublemaker troublemaking character who's always gonna like he's the kid who's daring you to do something but won't do it himself is what it is yeah like that's kind of his character of like oh when they're like hey go 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 oh go say hey to him Ray go say hey. you haven't talked to him the entire time like. Say hey, say hey to him real quick, and they oh they're inside. You can't do anything. And he's like, well, let's go ring the doorbell. And Art's like, wait, what? I don't want to do that. Like it's he he doesn't want to be the person to do it. He wants to like force someone to do it and, and sit, sit back. back and watch. Yeah, sit back and watch and and see either like they get hurt or something in the process of it. But no, yeah, like, in that scene when Hanks is kind of talking about like we're not like they're not the weird ones. We're the weird ones. And that's kind of the I guess maybe the crux of the movie to me is how like and. S- suburbia you don't know what anyone's doing and in a way like behind closed doors we're all weird and different in our own way 
You know, someday they're gonna dig up the back of that yard and they're gonna find the rest of that skeleton to go with that femur. Oh, it might not be Walter, but it's gonna be some poor tortured thing. Shut up, Art! Shut up! God, you don't know when to quit, do you? Look at me! I'm a shell of a man because of you, Art. You leave! Now, now, now! Soldiers! You leave them alone! Get off their case already! They didn't do anything to us! They didn't do anything to us! All right, so they're different, so they keep to themselves! Can you blame them? They live next door to people who break into their house and burn it down while they're gone for the day! Remember what you were saying about people in the burbs, Art? People like Skip? People who mowed their lawn for the 800th time and then snap! Well, that's us! It's not them! That's us! We're the ones who are vaulting over the fences and peeking in through people's windows. We're the ones who are throwing garbage in the street and lighting fires. We're the ones who are acting suspicious and paranoid eyes. We're the lunatics! Us! It's not them! It's us. But no, I, I do like when they're like, they're really playing these guys are like essentially just children. And they mm -hmm. do that even with the scene when uh, Carrie Fisher and Bruce Dern's wife, like they go and like meet the neighbors for the first time. Or they force them to actually go inside yeah. and sit down with them like normal people. The way that you should have done this from the beginning. <laughs> and Bruce Dern's just like, I mean, Bruce Dern's always like, you're going to have a lawsuit, mister. Like anytime, like something. Like yeah, even after their house, <laughs> spoiler alert, even after their house blows up, he's just like, you got a lawsuit on your hands. Oh, your hands so like, mister. Your plan just blew this man's house apart. <laughs> And he's just like, I'm doubling down. I'm not she, wrong. And he just keeps like, I love Bruce Dern's like one liners. Like I know like at the very end when the, when the, when the, when the younger son or whatever of the family, I don't know like the relationship with the kids or the people in the family, but of the Klopex. So like the, the dude who looks like a serial killer, uh, when he's like, Hey, Pinocchio, where are you going? Like, it's like, he has these like just great one liners and like kind of insults to people. I did love the dream sequence. Cause it was so, it was so heightened. Like everything was just so outlandish and the set almost looked like, like a Tim Burton Batman movie set. Like yeah. it was so ridiculous that everything was like way oversized. Yeah. They had him on that giant grill. Yeah. It was, I don't know. I love that. It reminded me of something that would have been in like an Adam Sandler movie, like some kind of like happy place dream sequence. It was very just the night, just the nightmare version of it. Yeah, it was just yeah, Tom Hanks strapped yeah. to a giant grill. It was like you don't get better than that. Like, cause I remember, cause it starts off with like what I remember from the trailer, like seeing on cable when they were like promoting it, was like the scene when when Hanks is walking down the stairs and then just a chainsaw comes Rips out the, of the wall the, the and, you're just like, and you're like, what the hell is happening? Um, it's funny like, though because it's almost like there's nothing on the other side of the wall. There's no brick. It's no. literally just like there's drywall. This is a drywall only house. <laughs> yeah, it just cuts right through. Uh, but yeah, like, and then you have like you have like Carrie Fisher like in this like white gown who's like part of it's it's just a very it's a great sequence. And the weird part too, and this kind of goes to the earlier story, but like Rick Dukaman shows up as like the the murdering soda jerk they they had talked about earlier. Skip is his name. And he's like covered in blood and holding like a, a ice yeah. cream maker. <laughs> it's it's very much like a, I can tell Dante is like like pulling from other like older horror films like that. Yeah, and it's a good like like the and because it's like he I think right before that when he's going to bed like Hanks is like every show he turns it on is like The Exorcist, uh, 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Like, it's all these, like, horror films, and he's just like, what is going on? And the weird part, too, like, we've only, at that point in time, and I know this is this time I'm watching it, we don't really meet the neighbors until, like, an hour into this movie. You don't even meet the one guy from Luck of the Irish until way later. <laughs> yeah, Henry Gibson? Yeah, yeah, when Henry Gibson pops up, I was like, yo, it's the Luck of the Irish guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, like, he's about he's about it's hour. That that's what he's remembered for. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I remember for, he, I mean, he's in like blue. He was he was in Blues Brother. I guess to our generation, he is more remembered for Luck of the Irish. But like he's yeah, it just he, shows he played, you how important that was in my childhood. He, he, uh, he plays the Illinois Nazi and and the Blues Brothers is like his, he's the leader of that group. I can totally um, see that. But yeah, it's like it's like yeah, you don't like you see the the like I, I'm gonna say the son because I don't know what he is, but the son you see him when he's like pounding the trash into the oh yeah with the steak thing that big pole he's just beating the trash here's the thing if i saw that i'd be like yeah that's a dead body like the way he's doing that that's not regular trash there's also like blood residue on the can like dried blood residue on the can already yeah it was very well done it was very well the set design and the props themselves were really well done. They were, they were. I mean, that, that's the one thing too. What, what I like about it. Another thing is that like, it's a movie that takes place all in this one setting. Like you never, yeah. you never go outside the burbs in this movie. And there's the points where you, yeah, you, there's points where you can, like you're seeing, like, it's like when the Klopaks, they, they see that someone's in the house. So they leave and then bring the cops back. You don't go. You don't cut to a scene at the police station of the Klopex getting them, or you don't cut to a scene of Carrie Fisher and her son driving to the lake and then coming, turning around, coming back for the day. Like it's all within this, just like you said, prison yeah. in a way. And I also, yeah, it's it's like they're in their mindset with all of the things they're doing. Nothing outside of this four or five house bubble matters. Yeah, exactly. There is no. There is no greater. Uh, authority outside of their mm-hmm. bubble that they control and they see as theirs. Yeah. And then at the end, when everyone, everyone starts coming in from outside that bubble, it's this huge realization. They're like, Oh, oh we're stupid. Like, I, it was, I don't know. It was, um, yeah, I think it also plays into the suburbia of it all though. Cause you feel, you feel like that's your little bubble, you know, and that's your window into the world. Yeah. So it does play on that perfectly. I mean, Hanks' comedy, this is a broad thing, but Hanks' comedy in this movie, I think, is great. He does a really great timing. Yeah. He is very Jim Halpert-y, like, just his reaction to things and just his, his just, like, deadpan stare. And, and, and like, it could, he had these, like, like serious moments. Like, another, like, it's not a comedy scene, but the one thing I love is, like, when, like, he becomes, the, like, they accept him as the leader of the group when uh he gets walter's toupee he finds walter's toupee <laughs> in the clopex's house and they're like you've been carrying that your entire time he's like no i found it in, or i i put it back in walter's house and then i found it in the clopex like it's like they he has this like weird like vibe to him after that scene because it, it's he goes like you're, no one's gonna knock off an old man in my neighborhood a very again another very kid it's the, line the validation that he needed to reaffirm that he isn't crazy i'm not insane yeah i'm yeah. not insane it, it's, yeah. it's that final thing where he's like i'm yeah. gonna plant this seed and then when it finally blooms i'm gonna know that i'm right and carrie my wife is wrong it's walter's rug so you got an old guy's wake big deal you've had that in your trousers all day after you found this in Walter's house yesterday, I slipped it back in through the mail slot. Yeah. Well, 
Where did you get it this time? Clopex. Wow. After the dog came up out of the basement, I found it wedged between a bunch of magazines, all of which, I might add, were addressed to Walter. Well, then, then that, that means that Clopex went back inside Walter's house and got the hair. What do we do now, soldier? Well, you heard them say they were going away tomorrow. As soon as that car leaves in the morning, I'm going over the fence, and I'm not coming back till I find a dead body. Nobody knocks off an old man in my neighborhood and gets away with it. Another favorite scene, real quick, is uh, when the house blows up at the end. And he walks out like he's like a Terminator with like half his face oh, yeah. is just like burnt. Burnt. It's burnt. And his eyes yeah. all swollen up. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, no one in their right mind would have survived that. It's hilarious. No, that no he way. Just walks out. They're like, something's moving inside. <laughs> and it, it, like I said, it's this Terminator thing, and he comes out, and then he has that speech. But another favorite moment, just a comedy moment, which I heard was improv, was when he's like, "Take me to the hospital. I'm sick." And no one gets him. So he just throws the gurney into the ambulance and dives in like, like I'm just like, I want to go to the hospital. And, his wife, and Carrie Fisher's just like, honey, I'll meet you at the hospital. Okay, honey. Okay, I'll see you there. Like, he's just like, at this point, so drained and like realizing. It's over. And that they were it's wrong. It's over. Yeah, we were wrong. But yeah, any other favorite scenes real quick before we move on? Um. I mean, not necessarily. I, I, the end scene with in the cul-de-sac with everything going down is hilarious. I also think the cops' yeah. reaction to all of it is hilarious because they're not really arresting yeah. anyone. They're just kind of confused <laughs> about what's going on, and at no point yeah. are they putting these guys in cuffs. And they literally just blew up their neighbor's house. The neighbors yeah. are there, and they're they'll be like, "This wasn't your house," but they're not doing anything to them. They're just there. It was so strange. It was just kind of waiting for something to happen. But nothing really happens until he jumps into the into the gurney. Like that really is the thing that happens. It's very odd. No, I said I love the soda soda jerk scene he tells to like Corey Feldman about like oh when I when I was younger there was a guy named Skip and he like murdered his whole family. Oh yeah. A couple hours later, there's smoke pouring out of the windows of Skip's house. The firemen show up. They go into Skip's house. You know what they find? What? Skip's family, dead, murdered by Skip weeks earlier with an ice pick. Yeah. The guy killed his whole family with an ice pick. Yeah. Yeah, I just put him in the cool basement, covered him up with a sheet, and went back to making ice cream treats for the townsfolk. Only thing, Skip didn't count on there being a big heat wave that summer. You know what that was that all those people were smelling over on Elm, Ricky? What? Skip's family's bodies decomposing in the summer heat. Yeah, apparently one day Skip just made one too many lemon phosphates. El Snapo. I remember that. I, re I remember hearing about that when I was a kid. They, they, they tore down the soda fountain that fall. You know, these towns are full of those kind of stories. Sometimes they're happening right under your nose. I, I know, and we can talk about it now. I, I, you, you said you weren't really a huge fan, but I, I liked Carrie Fisher and Hanks together. I like their their like their Jeopardy scene they do, which I heard was improv, where they're just like talking like their that their nightly thing is doing Jeopardy. That's part of his thing, and their big fight they have about what's happening next door. But yeah, go. What your what's your take on it? On Carrie Fisher in this movie in general, 
Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I feel like there are two different versions. There's one version where they're just like playing her up as like your everyday housewife. And there's one version where she's in like a sundress. Yeah. And like, I was just kind of like, I don't know if you're going to, if you're going to make Carrie Fisher like be one way, I didn't really feel like they matched each other. Yeah. Cause it, for Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks just is the same all the time in this movie. There's not yeah, a yeah. change at all. He's just very fluid and like, he's just constantly, you know, riding this weird wave. But yeah. Carrie Fisher, I felt like when she did pop in, it didn't really impact me in any way. I wasn't like, oh, wow, Carrie Fisher's doing great. Like, I didn't have this moment where I was just like, wow, Carrie Fisher, glad she's in this movie. Like, it could have been anyone, and I I don't know. It just didn't seem special to me, I guess. That's fair. I That's fair. I, I think I do like her in this. I do like her in this movie a lot. I, I, do, I do agree that, like, if this movie is made today, that character should and would have a much bigger role in the overall movie yes like she's good in the part she has and the chemistry with like hanks but i do agree like it's the kind of uh she's the i mean she i don't think they play her this way but the stereotype is she's the nagging wife who doesn't believe tom hanks that the crazy our neighbors are crazy i don't know if it's played up to that level but it is kind of that trope of that character who are you calling I'm calling the Delvanies and having them open the cottage. No, Carol, I don't want to go to the cottage. Fine, then Dave and I will go and you can stay here and spy. Oh, all right, okay. What, what, are you sulking No, now? go, up to, the, go up to the cottage, Carol. Take Dave and go up to the cottage. They need to pat around the house all by myself. Pat around the house Fine. all by yourself? All that's, you do is pat around the neighborhood. If that's my vacation, that's my vacation. Heads. You know, I am very, very worried about you. Why? You're acting like what? What am I acting like, Carol? Look I'm acting this. like a guy who's on vacation. This is See? not someone who's I on sleep vacation. late. Get a tan, then. Oh, get a tan. How am I that's supposed to get a tan? pajamas? I don't know. Look, look, you go up to the cottage to get a tan. Take David with you. I don't care. I'll eat takeout. I'll do the laundry by myself. I'll vacuum. The house will be spotless when you get back. Fine. I'm garbage all over the street. Your mom and I are having a conversation. If you, what? On set life. Can you guess where the film was shot at? Some back lot. Yeah, it was, it was was in the universal back lot. I think it's supposed to take place in Iowa of all places if i'm not mistaken i think i i read that i don't know enough about iowa to really be like oh yeah that makes sense oh, but oh like, yeah, well like when you get when you get when there's like when when bruce turns on the roof and you see like the i see the landscape of the valley i was like yeah that's definitely universal um but i yeah iowa i think i think at the beginning when they're like when they're going in from the world down to the uh, uh with like so, a street view yeah, looking thing that, i think they said yeah i think they said it was like iowa was what it was but then i also said that i heard that the uh the 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 tags in the movie are, are illinois and could be like a chicago suburb so i'm not either way they're in like a mountain range like in like they're in a valley which is universal um yeah the street would later become famous for being the neighborhood and desperate housewives it did look very much like that so that makes perfect sense it is it is that set uh it it had been used in multiple tv shows and movies before that including dragnet starring tom hanks and dan Aykroyd. actually i think the house they use for hanks is a house they use in dragnet uh most famously Art's house next door is the Munster's house from the TV show, the the, the TV show from the 60s or the 50s. I apologize, my mother, for not knowing when the Munster's... Such 60s, a bad okay. son. Bad son, bad son. <laughs> uh, 1960s for the Munsters. But yeah, that's why I think Art's house, they, they didn't show it as much as everyone else's because it was so recognizable at the time. That makes people sense. Would, people would know it was the Munster's house. 
The Klopex house, is that something that they aged? Was that always designed I think to they, look... They, I think they aged it. I think Disgusting. I, yeah, I had <laughs> read... It's like Great Gardens. Yeah, <laughs> I, had re- I had read that they had just shot the new Leave it to Beaver like TV show mm, on the okay. same set. And, and uh, Dante came in and was like, went to his production designer. He was like, please just like make this better. <laughs> like, cause it was like, I don't know if it was like 1950, I think it was 1980s, but like uh, Dante said it reeked of normalcy. And so he wanted some sort of like character to it. So I think they kind of aged that up. I think uh, I'm trying to think where, th- what the, the Klopex house, I think, uh, the Clopex was like in Quantum Leap, the TV show from the from the eighties and nineties. Okay. Um, I liked how I, and so like hoardy that house felt, yeah. like so just gross. Like it was oh, just yeah. overpacked with stuff. The set design in that house is really, really, really well done. Uh, it says that the Clopex house was not completely destroyed after the film and remained intact, almost intact, uh, for a number of years after it appeared in the Burbs. I think there's only one house that is still standing. Um. Oh, it's it's the it's Walters. It's the house, the end of the the cul-de-sac is what it was. That's mm-hmm. the only one that's still like in the same exact shape it was in as it was in the films. The film was shot in sequence, which is a rate which is rarity for most films. Yeah, it's really rare. Why? Was there a reason why? Because the neighborhood slowly goes to shit. Well, I think yeah, I think they were. It's because it was in one location. But another reason why the film was being made during a writer strike. Mm. So because of this, uh. For one, the Burbs, and I think one other movie was uh, were the only two things on the Universal lot at the time. Oh, Fletch Lives. That was the other movie that was playing as the sequel oh, to Fletch. So it was Fletch Lives and the Burbs being shot at the same time Universal lot. Because of this, the writer Dana Olson could not make contributions to the script and production. That's why Dante encouraged a lot of improv on set. That makes a lot of sense then. Yeah, like we yeah. said earlier. Yeah, and so it was like shooting in sequence where we're not getting confused, and because yeah, they can probably just like keep the things the same in the neighborhood. Uh, Dante tried or created a workaround though by hiring Dana Olson as one of the cops at the end of the movie, and so he would indirectly get script changes from him on set as the production went on. That's genius. Yeah. That is really smart. Uh, oh yeah, the Universal <laughs> Universal bus tour kept going through because nothing was happening during the writer strike, and so filming would have to stop every time the bus came through. From experience of working on that lot as an intern, that bus goes on. So uh, it's it's every ten minutes it, or every five minutes that bus is going by. That would be very hard to shoot, knowing that that was going oh, yeah. by every five oh, minutes. I would. I don't know if it was that, that would drive black, me insane. Cause like where I would, it would be weird. Cause every time where I, where our bungalow was, where I worked at, you would just hear the bus going by all the time and hearing some young, uh, tour guide saying, Oh, and that's where, uh, Robert Zemeckis, offices. That's where, uh, uh, the Ted people are. It's like all that stuff. So picture being Tom Hanks coming, like, like coming off a of big and they're like driving by as he's shooting that. It's a weird choice to come right off big to do this. I'm not, I mean, it's it's kind yeah. of a weird choice. It's a it's a it gamble. Is. Yeah, and we'll talk about that uh, uh, in a few minutes because it's it's a it's it's a bad run for for Hanks after this. There were actually apparently reshoots of the movie, and there are a, a few deleted scenes from the film as well. One revealing that Hanks was actually fired from his job and he wasn't just taking a week off. 
I kind of got that vibe though. Yeah, that's what I figured the whole too. time. I figured he got fired and he's just not telling his wife. And apparently that's what it was. He's just end of his rope, doesn't care. Now his yeah. neighbors are turning into cannibals. Cause because she says a comment. Yeah, she says a comment of like, oh, like you're more like wound up than you were when you were like at work. And like we need to that's what's like, we need to get out out of here and go to the lake. He's like, no, 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 let's just stay here. I want to like enjoy my home. Uh last story about onset life. Uh at the time of the movie was being filmed, Corey Feldman and Michael Jackson were close friends. Oh, while ja- while Jackson didn't visit the set, his famed chimpanzee Bubbles was a frequent guest and had been confined to Feldman's trailer during filming. Feldman returned to his trailer to find the chimp has spread feces around the interior of the trailer. Joe Dante eventually banned Bubbles from the set. Dude, I would love to be the person that wrote the memo. I was like, Bubbles is no longer allowed on our set. Send to all crew. Please be advised. Because, like, that's what I do on a daily basis. I do that on a daily basis anyways. And, like, that would be officially the most outrageous one I've ever written. And, like, I've gotten close, but I haven't gotten Bubbles needs to be banned from set forever. Like, that is... And, you know, someone had to do it. Somewhere out there that exists. And, like, I, I wonder if that would be worth money if someone found that, printed it out. Like, that is hilarious. I did not know that at all. It's also odd, like, why would you bring... I guess this is just the difference between now 80, and then. 80, 80s were a weird time, man. 80s yeah. were a weird time. <laughs> like, that is just so... That would never fly. Like, you can't even bring yeah. a dog to work now. Like, a chimpanzee? No. And, like, also just being stuck in a trailer for, like, I don't know, like, eight hours, ten hours, depending Minimum. on how long Feldman's on set. Yeah. Minimum. There's no, how long like, Feldman's on set. Yeah, no wonder that thing just crapped his hand and rubbed <laughs> all over the walls. I'd go crazy too. Yeah. Like that's insane. It's probably used to running all over the place, all over Neverland Ranch too. Like there's no that is terrifying. Yeah, I, I think I heard that Feldman caused a little bit of issues on set. Like I said, I think him and Dern uh, had a couple of of run-ins where he was just like kind of messing around on set, and Dern's like, "What are you doing? Like, what stop are you doing, this. dumb kid?" Yeah. So aftermath. This is what happened after the movies came out. The film did have moderate success at the box office, grossing almost fifty million, but was torn apart by critics. Uh, uh, many not knowing how to take the darkness that surrounded the like mundaneness of suburbia. It was. I think I heard. I read a couple people like basically like they didn't have anything to compare it to, of like oh suburbia is not like this type thing is what they were like seeing. Um, uh-huh. But I think because of that kind of dark tone, the film has developed a, a pretty decent cult following around it, and especially with Dante. And it's like it's an early Tom Hanks role, and it's his more like it's a darker role, for, or it's a darker movie for him. I don't know if it's a darker role, but it's a, it's like taking that all American dad Tom Hanks and putting him into hey, what if your neighbors are murderers? Then you're just a slacker with no job. Yeah. Nothing better to do than figure out this mystery that doesn't exist. Just go hang out with your buddy Art, who, like, also, what does he do? Like, the thing is about his wife is I think that if his wife had been there during the movie, it would be a drastically different character. Like, there's one version, there's a version of him with his wife around, (laughs) and there's a version of him without the wife around. Yeah. And I think that that is a hilarious thing to play up on. Like, you never even see the other side of it, but you just know. Yeah. Like, I think it works. I always assume she like with the whole like my wife's home for some reason I always assume like she left him and like she's coming uh, back was, at the end of the movie and that's, that's why he's surprised. he's surprised she's home is like my wife's home. I took it uh, as like oh I'm gonna be in so much trouble now. That's fair. She's yeah, gonna I, know what I'm doing. Yeah it could be that too because it was just like oh man. 
but yeah art is just so it's it's he's but like and that's i think the critics like they didn't understand like oh what's everybody doing like no one has jobs they're just like hanging out in the neighborhood i'm just like honestly like on a weekend that's what happens in like suburbs like that's why you live in a neighborhood like that so you don't have to leave yeah and so it's like and just and like especially like like just men will be like oh yeah what are you doing you're fixing your car like they'll just like hang out and like drink beers on the lawn like it's just that's that's kind of a thing that happens in certain areas of the country i think still happen today Mm -hmm. yeah the film was released at the beginning of a bad run for hanks uh after receiving an oscar nomination for big in 1988 hanks released a string of critical and and or box office failures including punchline in 88 the burbs in 89 turner and hooch 89 joe versus the volcano eight or joe versus the volcano 90 and then bonfire of the vanities in 90 and he wouldn't come out of it until 1992 with the league of their own and wow. then just went on a monster run you know my mom always loved turner and hooch and i never understood why i was they did not enjoy it as a kid she was just like this is one of the best movies and i was like i don't i won't, know. I won't, I don't I won't go that movie. far I, lo- I do love Turner and Hooch. It was it was a VHS I had. I Same. think I, mean, it, it, I think it's it, like my grandmother gave it to me. I it's it's a, and I don't, don't want to go on a huge tangent on Turner and Hooch, but like that's some that's some hard acting. Like hey Tom, your acting partner in this entire movie is a dog. You gotta like, carry the you, scene with you, a dog. You, like you know how hard that is? I, I've heard him say like some of the worst movies I've been on. I learned the most about acting. Because I think he said how, like, that dog, like, you didn't know what the dog was going to do. So it just kept him on his toes the entire time. And but that's so what I makes him so good now. Like, late, like, mid to late career Tom Hanks is as good as he is because he was challenged a lot in movies like that. So, yeah. And, and yeah. this is peak, I would may say peak uh, comedy actor Tom Hanks. Or probably big is. Because, like, Tom Hanks isn't getting to the drama until kind of a league of their own in like Philadelphia, like a, a, a 93. But yeah. So what worked about this movie? I thought the weirdness of the camera work sometimes matched the weirdness of what was going on. And yeah. I normally I'm kind of not one for that, but with this movie, it just works perfectly. That one where they're finally having the realization that they're holding the femur <laughs> and, they zoom and in the and camera out. just keeps just keeps punching in and out and in and out and in and out i was like this is crazy i was like what it's is so, happening right now? It it's so- a femur it's walter ah! yeah, like, it's that been- is so well done you just i don't know i couldn't tell you the last time i saw someone do that and it worked like it just is so outlandish and what, what i find works. what i find so funny about that scene is that it goes on too long Mm-hmm. And like the actors, the characters can like tell they're going on too long. Yeah. But they don't know what to, how to finish it up. Yeah, they're, they don't know how to finish like, it up. They're just like, ah! yeah, it's a bone. Yeah. They're like, oh, it's, it's a bone. It's, yeah, it's a leg bone from a person. Uh, it's, the yeah, it's it's so like it's a femur bone, Ray. It's femurs <laughs> come from humans. <laughs> femurs come from humans. <laughs> Why do you think this is this is Walter's femur? The, but that saves that scene from being like the drag of that scene like it has that effect on you that you're just like the what yeah, is yeah. going on right now and he, and and that's a big thing again we'll, we'll, i'll say it later in the horror comedy thing but like that's the thing about horror comedy is that you have to have this like exaggeration of style and in that instance you definitely have that where it's just that i think there's a few dutch angles in the movie too um like especially when they're in the clopex's house yeah it's just yeah i, I think dante's direction is pretty good in this in this film 
Yeah, and same. I would he, agree with that. Yeah, and he uses the confined space fairly well. It, it, like the thing is, it's like it's funny because I heard that they wanted to like broaden it and go outside the burbs, and Dante didn't want to. And I, I never for to, for me, I never get bored just being in the neighborhood. I never go, oh, what's same. outside this? I don't, I don't need that. And so I think that was a smart choice. Everything felt very like tra- uh, trapping in a way. Yeah. Because uh, I think everything was very vertical. Like when you were walking through the neighborhood, everything was very tall. That's and true. It just yeah. felt like this unescapable labyrinth that you're just That's like you're locked in. Like I, I don't know. I yeah. whenever they were outside, it very much felt like they were in this bub, like a bubble, yeah. and that they didn't leave, and that that was yeah. the world that they lived in, and their perception of everything was based on what they had going on right there, and like the Klopex house being as like decrepit and creepy and nasty as it was. Like, yeah, if there's one thing in your bubble that is like that, of course you're going to be weirded out by it. And, like, yeah. they didn't do themselves any favors by looking like they came out of, like, Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. And, like, yeah, because, like, Ray, yeah, Ray, like, doesn't, like, they don't want to be, like, the house next to the Klopex house, like, with the dead grass. And they're like, what are they oh, doing? Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that happens, like, uh, anyone that's, like, you, if you own a house, even just an apartment of, like, mm-hmm. you don't want to be next to the person that's the eyesore of the the, yeah. the neighborhood or the complex or whatever. Because you just constantly see it. You're just always yeah. reminded of it. It's the thing you obsess over. Exactly. Like the person that doesn't cut their grass for way too long. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Same thing. I, but yeah, I, Dante's direction. I, I like the cast. I, I gotta give a shout out to Jerry Goldsmith's score because I think the music is actually really good in this movie. It is very... There's a lot of very strange, like, westerny themes that play in this I thought I got Western vibes mm-hmm. from it. There's like Western, but you also have like kind of like horror vibes. Like Goldsmith was a guy who like, I, I've met so many, like just like, I guess like teachers who were composers like Jerry Goldsmith. He was the greatest because they like, he could like do any type of score. And with this one, I do think he like, he kind of captures a little bit. Like he said, he said Western, but also just different kind of styles you also get a little bit of horror i think it, 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 again it exaggerates it in certain moments which is what is part of the genre yeah i did there's the one particular part i think it's when they are mounting their assault on the house for when they when the clopex leave yeah. you out of town there's yeah. that and the, that stretch of music that i remember being like this is hilarious also like kind of really sandlotty like when they're going over the fence to get the ball yeah it's very much like that because they're going over the fence to go in the clopex yard to break in their house like it I don't know. It, the The way they handled that was really well done. I was waiting for a Sandlot mention in this in this episode. It's, I mean, that is almost ripped. Like it looks the it looks very similar, and oh, yeah. especially with all of them like all geared up, like they're going to battle. It's yeah. just so outrageous. It's so outlandish. Like, I don't it's know, like it's it, it, de- like, it definitely feels like like just kids. Like even like I mean, Art when like he's gonna like cut the electric wire, where he's like he's like he's like in a. He's like in a, like an electrician uniform with a hard hat. And I'm just like, where did you get that? Like, where did you get this? He saved this it for this mo- exact moment. moment. Yeah. <laughs> One day I'm gonna have to cut a cable, cut, 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 cut a power line. And uh, I, gotta, I gotta get be in a, in a good uniform for it. Bruce Dern though, when he is like full assault gear and he's up on the roof, he's got like three rifles. <laughs> like, what is this? this is well, I also just like again off of that. One's like, like a fully automatic assault rifle yeah. too. It's like it's out. It's like why would you have something like this in a neighborhood? It's very true of America and suburbia. Like, there's always that one guy. You're like that guy's got like an arsenal. Why like, do you why? need this? 
And then, like, I guess the reason why is when the Klopaks are next to you. You never know when you might need it. And I love it. Like, again, it's a, it's a, it's a good kind of comedic duo that, like, Feldman is the one that lives next door to him. And he's just, like, and he's always, like, yelling at him of, uh, Felt, this is just entertainment for Feldman and his friends. And, like, uh, I'm going to invite all my buddies over so we can watch the show. Like, he just sees it as, like, TV. Like, why why watch TV when you can watch reality? Yeah, like, the most, yeah, the, but, like, in the most involved that Corey Feldman ever gets is when at the end when the, the Klopex are driving down the street with the cops behind him he jumps in front the, of the car yeah. literally the only thing he really does the whole movie he tra- <laughs> he half he half ass jumps in front of the Klopex he's like don't drive and then yeah. they just go around him and he's like oh well I tried like yeah well, he, so he jumps in the cop car I mean still like I might, my, one of my favorite lines in the entire movie is just Corey Feldman going the pizza dude's coming like I for some reason that line of like when and actually when the pizza dude shows up and the pizza van crashes and the pizza falls out he's like pizza dude like I just that's a line that has stuck with me since I was a kid and I repeat <laughs> it so many times that's the my most quoted line from this movie is him it's Corey Feldman saying pizza dude that's hilarious. Over and over again. Mr. Rumsfield, you guys managed to knock out the power in the entire block. Probably the whole south end of town. Ricky, shut up. Listen, man, we're, we're gonna make a run to McDee's. You want a quarter pounder or something? Oh, no way! Hey, wait, you guys can't go now. It's the best part. I called the pizza dude. All right. What did not work in this movie? I mean, honestly, for me, I still gonna go with, I just kind of felt like Carrie Fisher was flat. That's fair. In this movie. And I don't know. I not in a not in a like, oh my god, I ruined this movie way. Mm-hmm. But I, I think when I'm like, okay, oh, she's in this movie, I guess I just and it might come down to I thought they were gonna have her be more involved. Yeah. And she really wasn't it's, at all. It's Carrie Fisher. You yeah, you expect that. Yeah, yeah. When when you have Carrie Fisher in your movie, at this point, I expected her to be very heavily like, you know, yeah. prevalent and like very important to the story. And in all honesty, she's not. Like she's just there to poke and prod. Mm-hmm. Tom, the Tom Hanks, as he's just kind of going through his up and downs. Like they, yeah. she really does nothing to add to the story. It's kind of sad in a way because I don't think it's her fault. It's definitely written that way, but I mean, it wouldn't happen now. Like, there's no way that would happen now. I don't think. Yeah. I I got one thing uh, that it it bumped me this time when watching it. The ending kind of kind of bumps me because. I, I, I am by the ending. I mean like, Oh, you actually find out they are murderers. It yeah. feels like almost uh, t- weirdly too big of a jump. Even though we've been talking about the entire time, it yeah. feels like, Hey, we have to, we have to like pay this off where it's like, Oh yeah, Walt, we didn't kill Walter, but these other people that own the house that you guys never talked about, we did kill them. You're like, wait, what? Um, so it feels yeah, like it's I felt, just, you're right. It's, it's too, it's, it feels like it, I almost, I'm not saying it's better if like, Oh, these guys were just crazy and the neighbors aren't bad people. Uh, cause you can't have that. You have to have the payoff that like, Oh, they were right. Cause it's, it's, it's a movie. Um, but I do think, cause I, I they could have made more mentions of like, Oh yeah, we didn't say, we didn't say goodbye to them. Maybe they did and I missed it, but there is like, they need a few more hints that these are the people they killed because i think you forget also too and this goes with my like a story question is is why in the hell does why in the hell do they have so many skulls and bodies just like hanging out in their trunk they in the car they drive every day like so many is just skulls sitting there yeah just like chilling yeah like they went through such great pains to bury stuff in their backyard yeah 
Like, why what's do you have in the backyard? <laughs> yeah. Why? Like, why? Because there's like a ton of skulls. I'm like, dang. Uh, and there's like a big, there's a big exposition dump from one of the cops of just like, here's everything you guys didn't know. And I'm like, okay, do we? Like, I feel like it's like they were trying to tie up the movie really quickly, and it, it kind of just becomes a little bit, it it becomes inferior to the rest of the movie is what it kind of feels like to me. Uh, alternate universe cast, not much. Hanks was the first one up. The only one, and I don't, know, you don't know if you'll know this guy. I don't know if many people will. Uh, if you're a film buff, maybe uh, one of the Klopex, the brother who's like the German or whatever, uh, Uncle Ruben, uh, was supposed to be an actor named Timothy Carey, who was in a movie called Murder by Contract and a couple of uh, early Kubrick films like The Killing. Uh, very intense actor. Like picture like I, I wouldn't say more intense than Nick Cage, but like if Nick Cage was constantly unhinged. That would probably be Timothy Carey. Like he actually has like a Nick Cage look to him. Okay. Uh, but Dante didn't hire him because he thought he was too intense. So I understand that completely. Film facts. Walter's poodle is the same dog that Buffalo Bill has in Silence and the Lambs. Wow. There's one little tidbit for you. Story questions. Uh, what do you think Hanks does or did if he got fired? I think he is something super mundane. Like he sold insurance or like he's a used car salesman. Or something. I could see him be an ins- I, don't, I don't know if he's years. I could see him selling insurance or like like uh, a salesman of some kind who's stuck to like a cubicle job. Um, yeah, I could see that. that yeah. I definitely see that. And I, I don't know. I just got like something very mundane. Yeah, like something that he just like couldn't stand deep down. He was like, he's glad it's over, but it's over, and now he doesn't know where to go from here. I could see Art being the used car salesman. I could see Art yeah, being that guy. Yeah, now that you say that. I could see Art being I get that vibe. Do you think Tom Tom Hanks and them move afterwards? Um, Honestly, I bet they don't. Like, I bet I bet they just kind of stay there and, like, life keeps going the way that they... I could see Bruce Dern and his wife, like, getting divorced, like, her leaving after all the craziness that went down. But honestly, she never seemed really that mad or upset. No. Like, no one seemed that mad after everything yeah. happened. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this forces a split between Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher, but she yeah. didn't seem that mad either. She just kind of seemed like, Oh, it's finally over. Like, I, I don't think any of them, I think their life just keeps going on and they're in their little bubble. I don't think they ever leave. I I had read that, uh, her, her it's who plays, uh, Miss Rumsfeld, Wendy Shaw mm-hmm. is that, uh, <laughs> I think is that Hanks did not know, but he's uh, Tom Hanks is very confused about her performance in the <laughs> film. According to her, she also stated in the note he wrote to her because he, Hanks gave a rap gift to everyone of a gift of sunglasses. He wrote, I still don't get what you're doing, but it was great working with you. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't what know a what slap that means. across I the that face. I don't, I don't know like what, what she was doing. That was, that was weird. Cause I thought she was, I thought she was fine. I mean, it's a, she, I, I feel like she's made ahead of the time of like, she's playing that like desperate housewives type character in some way. Uh, or not very much not, so. not not desperate housewives stepford wives in a way where she's playing this like she's the trophy wife if you redo this movie those two characters have much more development than what they have in this in this film awards so our first award the beatrice Strait award an actor actress with limited scenes that kills it usually someone with like less than five scenes if possible i mean that's hard i, I got i got one i got one who do you think so uh, an actor I love, a great character actor that pops up in a lot of stuff is Dick Miller. And Dick Miller plays the garbage man 
the older oh. garbage man and he was kind of at, he was in a bunch of early Roger Corman movies and so because of that a lot of the people who worked for Roger Corman like Joe Dante would cast Dick Miller in the film so he's in Gremlins uh James Cameron cast him in the Terminator as like the gun uh, gun shop owner and so he's always it's always fun to see him pop up and I think he's fun as this garbage man who like again hates hates the I think hates the people of in, in the suburb just like hates suburbia and his and he's always like doing the the grunt work of like taking out their trash. He was great in that scene. Yeah. He was really really great in that scene and it, so much so that it makes sense now cuz I remember seeing it and being like this guy is definitely like a this is a cameo like yeah. this is a big like a bigger cameo spot i didn't know who he was because i just have to, didn't know who he was but yeah he he, he kills it in the yeah. very brief minute you get with him in this movie this seminar could change your life Vic. the man is a great healer and i'm a great bowler and wednesday night we're taking on roselli plumbing you really should expose yourself to this guy Vic. he understands paraphysical forces the healing capabilities of crystals and the the laying on of hands you want to try laying on some hands? The Annie Potts X Factor Award, supporting actor, actress that is most memorable. Hey, Bruce Dern, dude. Yeah. Bruce Dern for sure. And I, I don't know. I had not, I've seen some Bruce Dern movies, but not a ton. This was my first Bruce Dern movie as a kid. This was my first one. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, uh, it was most Bruce Dern movies I've seen. He's old. Like he's an old man. I mean, he's so, old in this movie too. He's old in this movie, but he's not. He's not. He's not. A he's not. He's not. He's Bruce not. De, he's not Nebraska. He's not Nebraska old, where he's walking exactly. the freeway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. This is the youngest version of Bruce Dern that I've seen. The youngest iteration. Uh-huh. Uh And it was. He was great, man. He was. He's what I expected, but a little bit more than what I expected him to be. Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. He's funny. He's phenomenal. I. Uh, I think I'll take that away from this more than anything else. His performance. Yeah. He play. He. He. He gives a something different to the old man's shouting stay off my lawn like because that is his character it comes across in a not as um hostile way yeah like a, a little more a little um more innocent and like funny yeah like yeah there's, he's really playing up the humor side of it yeah but he does still mean it and walks that line really well between like hey i'm being funny but also like get away from me <laughs> it's, really, it's really well done he does a good job it's a nice balancing act uh i agree i agree with bruce dern i would give it to him too uh i like uh rick Ducommon as well but i think dern is like the member that's the one that i remember the most like after watching this or watching this the first few times is, is dern as this crazy next door neighbor i know you're in there old man honey listen up mister that piece of scum barking rat ears has just taken his last stomp on my lawn. I find one more, just one, I'm gonna catch him and staple his ass shut. If I got him, right now. No, 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 no. Honey, honey, come on, let's go. The Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie could be director, actor, screenwriter, whoever. I mean, I think you're supposed to say Tom Hanks because it's Tom yeah, Hanks. Yeah, I, w- I would say like, Tom Hanks. I mean, yeah, he does. He does carry it the whole time. But Joe Dante does a great. I mean, Joe Dante yeah, crushed it with this. Like, it's not a bad Joe Dante movie. No, it's not. It's between the two. I'm gonna say Hanks on my end because uh, I think he. It's a different role for him, and I think he plays it incredibly well. Yeah. It. It's. It's. It, it's. It's. It's continuing the whole suburban, a different version of the suburban sto- like life stories that Dante was telling, 
So it, it fits in this catalog more. I think because it's such a rarity for Tom Hanks, I would I would say he would probably he he handles this new type role well. I would say yeah, he does step right into it, and yeah. it seems almost effortless. I, I think it's like one of his only like kind of like black comedy or horror comedy movies he's done. So like that's what attracted me attracted me to it early on as a kid of just like Tom Hanks in what movie? It is the safe answer, but it's also the right answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good case for Dante. I, I I agree, but I I would I would say I would say Hanks. That's not my idea of restful. All right, this is restful. Hanging around the house, just being lazy, and that's what I want to do. I just want to hang around, be lazy, listen to the ball game, and. You know, drink a couple hundred beers and maybe smoke an occasional cigar outside. I'll, I'll fix the barbecue in the backyard if you want me to. I'll do that. All right, this is what I need, Carol. I, I need this. And you'll see, at the end of the week, I'll, I'll be a brand new human being. It's your vacation. Final questions. If this film was remade today, who do you cast in these roles? Dude, if you release this movie in, like, 2012... It reminds me a lot of the movie The Watch with Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller and Jonah Hill. Yeah. And I feel like that group, the the group of actors and comedians that kind of encompass that uh-huh. that friend group and that that time period, you know? Mm-hmm. They would have been great in this movie. Like this would have been a great like I could see Vince Vaughn in the lead. I could see Vince Vaughn as I would say Vince Vaughn or I, I would say he's art and Ben Stiller is yeah, I, yeah, I, I could see that. I also think, yeah. um, who was I going to say? Uh, Jason Sudeikis would have been a great in this movie. Like, that's fair. Like when Jason Sudeikis was on, like coming on up out of SNL, like that first yeah. you know, initial launch, he would have been great in this. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel like Bruce Dern honestly could have stayed the same. Like you could just keep <laughs> Bruce Dern in that role all the time. Like never change that. I got, I got a pitch for the time for for Ray for Tom Hanks character. Let's uh, hear it. I would. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw out Sam Rockwell, um, Ooh. just because I like those actors. But the the big thing about this movie is that it definitely borders on like, it's comedy, but it's it's horror in a way, or it's like kind of it's it's black comedy, and I think Rockwell could really nail the like, I just want to stay at home and like, not talk to anyone. And then, like, he would get the comedy aspect of it as well. Like, he, he could, you could get the inner turmoil of Ray's character of, of like possibly losing his job, but also get the whole, like, what, like the, the child aspect of it, of being yeah. stuck in the neighborhood, like his character in, like, the way, way back or whatever. Like, he can play that type role really well. I would say Rockwell, mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson is art. Bruce Dern, I would say Josh Brolin, just like just rough around the edges. Josh Brolin and maybe age him up a little bit. Okay. I think he could do it. I think he could pull that off. I think he's got comedic chops enough to like pull it off. I don't think. Yeah. I like Brolin in that role. I get, and, and like, uh, who's like the, the, the teenage kid you put against him is like the thing. Uh, J- Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> just, like, just like, just like a shithead version of Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> It's just annoying as shit the whole time. I uh, or like early career Shia LaBeouf would have been great in that role. I, I, I yeah, he would have been great. I could see that. I could see been great. Like even Stevens, even Stevens early seasons, Shia LaBeouf would have been great. In Shia LaBeouf post holes would be would be wonderful yeah. in that role. Like right coming off of holes. Yeah, that would have been that would have been a solid pre pre. Uh, what was that movie he did with Will Smith about robots? 
iRobot. He's in like one scene of iRobot. Yeah, iRobot. Yeah. He, was, he um, popped around a lot of movies. So uh, does this film fit with any other genres? I mean, I, I would say it's a black comedy as well, along with being yeah. a horror comedy. I'd say it's a black comedy. I'd also say yeah. it's a great, it is a really great representation of suburban mentality. Like yeah. if you want to say it's suburban movies, it yeah, does yeah. kind of do that perfectly. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's aged well in terms of like capturing suburbia. And what's interesting is seeing the critics like not know what to compare it to of like, oh, what movie do we compare this to about suburbia? But weirdly, I think it's become the movie you compare everything to. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I, you'll probably like people compare it like, oh, like E.T., like the like, like 80s Spiel, like Spielberg stuff, Poltergeist maybe. But I think this one really captures like what being like living in the suburbs, living on a cul-de-sac where you're essentially living on a dead end street, like what you do in that world. It does. And that's a timeless thing. Like it has changed yeah. in different ways throughout generation to generation. Yeah. But at its core and the things that they really were like lean heavily on the tropes of the suburbia yeah. that never change are the things that they really excel at uh, highlighting in this movie. And it just makes it timeless. Yeah. As kids and living on our cul-de-sac like we did, we jumped over into that, that next door neighbor that we didn't like. We, we jumped into her backyard one yeah, Miss Hoover was my neighbor, and I thought we thought she was a ghost because she literally would go out in the garden really early in the morning, and so she'd be she always had this like white little like gardening outfit that she wore. It was like a very flowy yeah. dress thing, and she would be out there doing that early in the morning. So if you're driving in early, or if you're leaving for work or leaving for school really early, you just see this like this like vapor while like, walking through her yard in white, like going through the trees and her house was like, there was a lot of trees around it, you know, like yeah. a lot of vegetation. And so you would just get a glimpse of it going by and you're like, what was that? Yeah. Like it was, it was right next door, right behind our basketball goal. So whenever you overshot the goal or just had a horrible shot, your ball would roll into her like jungle of yeah. a yard. And like, yeah, I totally a hundred percent. Like I get it. Like I totally hundred <laughs> percent get it. That's why when I saw it, I was like, yep, that's Miss Hoover's yard. <laughs> Everyone has that Boo Radley house somewhere in their yeah, like man. in their history. And this just takes it like, oh, it's basically like, what if what if Boo Radley actually was a killer? It's basically what this yeah. movie is. What if it was all true? all true? And then you thought maybe at some point that you were just crazy and then turns out you weren't. Yeah. You were right all along. I do think in in the end, I do think that it would have been better if they would have just been crazy and that they weren't killers the whole time. Like yeah. I really do think that would have been it's expected at that point. Yeah. I didn't need but the you, extra twist to make it work for me. You, know? uh, you got, but basically they probably did that. Cause the guy get out of the whole like property damage thing. Well, oh yeah, true. <laughs> you can't have Tom Hanks going to jail because he blew up their house. It would have been he funny like, though. I think you want to go dark comedy. That's that is dark comedy. Like, that's that, what like, it is. Yeah. He was just a guy who didn't have a job anymore. And now he's going to jail, jail. for attempted murder and blowing up someone's house. Like it's like, that's it. That's crazy. Uh, last question. Uh, we can't cover this a little bit, but how does this film fit in the horror comedy genre? I I think we, like we went, we mentioned like the zoom in shot they have. It definitely exaggerates style a lot in this in this movie. The set design is very when yeah. inside the Clopex house. It's very. Yeah. Um, it it reminded me a lot of what we do in the shadows when they're inside mm -hmm. that house and everything's like just stacked and gross. Yeah. And just it, it they really played with that space a lot. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I yeah. thought of a movie called Fright Night, another like horror comedy, like vampire movie. Um, I, yeah, it, it has this like gothic style 
to it in a way. The over the topness of everything as well. And that's I agree. something that you touched on in the um in the Brian De Palma episode you guys just did was yeah, yeah. that being a trope of this genre and the, yeah. this whole movie is over the top. Like there's nothing in this movie that's not over the top. Yeah. <laughs> so you just kind of get used to it. Yeah. But yeah. Uh I do think also too he has like a lot of tributes to other horror films like when he's watching the movie and it's or watching TV it's like The Exorcist or uh uh texas chainsaw massacre 2 i think he's like reading a book on like curse of the demon which was a uh, reading a book about the uh reading a book about the villain of the movie curse of the demon uh about demonology so he definitely has references to a lot of earlier race with the devil a lot earlier kind of movies in the horror genre yeah um but yeah and I, so i think it, it checks all the boxes it might not go fully horror like some of these other horror comedies, but I, think I mean, nothing still- really bad ever happens to them. It's it's really just like a thriller in a sense of they don't like it's all in their head. Nothing yeah. really physically ever happens until they unveil the skulls in the trunk. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that's the really tone- most of it happens. Yeah, the tone is playing like is is a horror comedy tone is what they're doing. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah. But yeah, I think that's all. All I have to say on the burbs. Do you have anything else that's to add about? That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> about that. And yeah, if you guys if you guys haven't seen it, go check it out. Like I said, I I think it's a big influence. On, I know Stranger Things is one of the bigger. It's probably Netflix's biggest thing they've done. And I, I think Dante is a guy that should be given more credit with establishing kind of that '80s suburban tone, or maybe not establishing because I don't know if Spielberg came first, but he at least. I think he refined it. And yeah, I would say if you, if you enjoy Stranger Things, you owe it to yourself to watch this movie because a lot of the things that they pull directly, almost verbatim yeah. into Stranger Things that are memorable parts of Stranger Things and yeah. themes of Stranger Things are in this movie. Like you owe it to yourself to watch it just to know where this kind of came from, in my opinion. And like that is most people. Most people like Stranger Things. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Go watch the burbs. You like Stranger Things. If you can find it, on voodoo or stars <laughs> go get a free yeah, trial stars, stars. i got that free that free seven day trial and i'm gonna forget day eight i'm gonna be like wow this really cost me 8.99 for go. stars i want to go watch some black sales <laughs> nah but yeah guys thank you so much for listening to this uh make sure you subscribe to us on the Apple podcast spotify stitcher or wherever your podcast make sure you give us a rating a review that helps people find us and we always like hearing what you guys think about us. Make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our stuff on Medium. And yeah, Hunter, thank you so much for joining me and returning. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. I've missed this a lot. So yeah, thank you for having me back on the show. For sure. It was great. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.